Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Christopher Shadforth, Communications Director for the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, I'll be talking to Nicola Meller and Ian Simons. In this episode of the podcast, we are discussing theme four of the CII's new five-year strategic plan, world-class learning. I'm joined by Nicola Meller, Qualifications Director, and Ian Simons, Content and Capabilities Director at the CII. Here's my conversation with Nicola and Ian. Hello, Nicola. Hi, Chris. And hi, Ian. Hi, Chris. Hello to you both, and thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. Now, first of all, a question for you both about theme four of the strategic plan, and perhaps Nick earlier, you could answer first, and then I'll come to you in a second here. Why is it important to our strategic plan that our learning and qualifications are considered to be world-class? Thanks, Chris. I love that question. Because I think for me, world-class means a couple of things at the same time. We need to do everything we can to support our learners to be world-class professionals. So that's what's behind our learning. So we need to be clear uh, that when you have an opportunity to work with someone who's achieved a CII qualification or a designation, or who's a member undertaking CII learning, that you know that means they've got great expertise and they're competent and they have an effective, great way of working. So there's that side of it for me. But also uh, for our learners, it's about world-class content and world-class delivery, and they are equally important. We know that learning works well when it really engages you, uh, not just through the content, but also how it's delivered and the right level of support. So for me to be world class, that means uh, that it's useful and it's relevant, but also that it's part of a network of professionals learning together, like really well guided and supported. And I think to be world class learning at the end of it as a learner, it should give you confidence to do your job like this week, next week, but also aspire to higher levels too and to continue to learn. Fantastic. And what about you, Ian? Yeah, so similar to Nicola, but maybe if I add, why uh, is world class important? Well, we're a global profession or we're, uh, we are global professions, plural. And so we just can't rest on our laurels. Uh, we see ourselves as the leading professional body for insurance and personal finance. And we recognize that our members and customers can get learning from many other places uh, and not just from conventional competitors, but new types of learning and new types of formats using new technology. Uh, so we've really got to make sure that we are investing in that or partnering with those who are able to bring that new uh, best-in-class learning to our membership. Uh, and obviously, as Nicola was there, we aim to provide the most effective learning, and that means learning that leads to uh, the greatest enhancements in capabilities for individuals and for businesses. It's not just about do people enjoy the experience? That's obviously something we need to uh, always be focused on, but making sure that it ultimately leads to better outcomes for consumers. Um, so one of the things that we've recognised and is clear in the um, strategy is we we can't do that alone and we, we shouldn't be trying to do all of that alone. So uh, we're going to be looking very much at opening up partnerships with those who can help us move faster and provide more choice so that we can be always there providing the rigorous accreditation and uh, endorsement processes, but that we can open up the range of solutions to a wider global set of providers. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ian. And thanks also, Nicola. Now, back in 2022, the CII introduced the professional map as a, an international benchmark of excellence for the insurance and personal finance professions. Uh, and that professional map set out the behaviours and the technical expertise that well-rounded professionals should have an exhibit. Now, as part of the strategic plan, it talks about a new qualifications pathway. And Nicola, I wanted to ask about how that's going to be aligned with the professional map that was launched last year and what benefit will it bring to members? Thanks, Chris. Um, as you say, the professional map's a golden thread for the profession. So as you'd expect, that's going to run all the way through our qualifications. But in terms of what does that actually mean in, in terms of what a qualification is like? Certainly, I feel our members are very clear uh, in the consultation that they value our technical learning. So there will remain core technical content. But the way that's going to pan out is it's going to be complemented with the skills and behaviours and enablers. So that combines all the ingredients of great professional practice, coherent, effective, the content all working um, coherently together. So you'll see the professional map threaded through our new qualifications. For example, you'll see us introduce the topics of each qualification alongside professional map behaviours. We'll have a real focus on developing professional practice as a theme running throughout all of the qualifications. And then that will be reiterated in the technical option units. So technical content is incredibly valuable and it's valuable, though, in the context of professional practice. So bringing in those behaviours and enablers as well. And when we look at final assessments for qualifications, that will bring together components of the technical content behaviours and enablers at the end. So we can see that people have mastered what it is to be a professional uh, at that level of working. Speaking about the end and, and final assessment, we're also really keen on our assessment linking to real world tasks and activities wherever it can. And I think that links back to the professional map as well, because it is about developing as a professional. So the more we can get to the heart of the activities that make up a great professional, the clearer and more effective our assessment will be. So um, the new pathways build on what works now, but it also takes a profession uh, an essential step forward by bringing in the rest of the professional map as well. And I think you've asked also what benefit does it bring to learners? So I, I definitely feel that by aligning to the map, by focusing on professional practice, it meets more needs. By that, I, I mean um, the qualifications are going to be really well in tune with how employers are looking to train and develop staff, but also helping them with the culture they're trying to build. Um, so it's not just about the technical skill, it's the culture of the staff that you're developing as well. That's, that's really interesting, Nicola. And I wanted to ask you about, we, we talked about the qualifications there, but the, you know, the assessment is also in our minds, isn't it? And in particular, earlier this year, 2023, uh, we launched a pilot, a coursework pilot for our RO6 qualification. So can you unpack how that fits into the qualifications pathway as well in terms of the assessment? Oh, great question. That gives me an opportunity to talk about an example that we've worked really hard on uh, over the last year. It's an example of where we were exploring how we can do a real world authentic assessment. The real world is in our assessments at, at present, but we can go further. So in the RO6 coursework pilot, the assignment uh, involved the kind of research preparation outlining that a financial planner would undertake 
prior to meeting with a client or, or when drafting recommendations, because let's face it, nobody prepares to deliver good client outcomes by sitting alone in a room with no reference materials for three hours, going from memory and rushing. That, that's not how we work best. Um, so we, we prefer not to have assessments that work in that way. So we ran the pilot. Uh, we have just finished um, the second session of it. And I have to say this, the kind of feedback we're getting is indicating that it's authentic, helpful. It's a good way of learning. Um, so we feel confident it's going to be an effective method for the qualification that we're going to enable people to have a really strong foundation when they start careers in financial planning. That said, we've taken feedback throughout the whole pilot. Um, so we're, lo we're looking through that feedback at the moment and the key indicators and suggesting to us as well that we could also add some further enhancements like personal guidance and support um, before we launch in the final version. And do you have a, a date in mind yet for that final launch? That will very much depend on um, our work on the further enhancement. So we don't have an exact date for a launch yet. Okay, well, one to come back to, and it all sounds very positive at the moment. So thank you for uh, explaining that, Nicola. And speaking of pilots, Ian, uh, there are several others that are referred to in the strategic plan, including pilots of cohort-supported learning and digital badging. So what's the intent behind innovating in these areas? So they're both fundamentally about adding value to the learner experience. And uh, while it's been effective historically, we know that distance learning or having a study text, and as Nicola was just saying there, trying to memorise that to, to perform in an exam isn't necessarily the best experience or necessarily the most realistic reflection of how expertise could be delivered in practice. One of the things that we really want to be able to deliver through what we're calling cohort-supported learning is the opportunity for people to learn together and to use that to bounce ideas off each other, challenge each other, coach each other, nudge each other, and just a little bit more like you might uh, study in school or university and other places, get that collegiate atmosphere so that you're not feeling you're out on your own. You don't know whether or not you've done enough, more than enough. You don't know whether your weaknesses are going to be the weaknesses that come in the exam, etc. So we want to introduce some of that through cohort learning. But uh, for the pilot, as we're currently aiming it to be, we're not picturing that as a series of lectures or a training course. We're using what's called flipped classroom to uh, help people lead that learning experience themselves. So there'll be a facilitator who's able to nudge and answer key questions around the topic. But it's mostly about working together and there will be strengths that match weaknesses in any cohort so that people can help each other or nudge them, nudge each other out it. But then it's the facilitator using discussion boards and group seminars, hopefully, to be able to make sure that people are all up to the same standard or they're, you know, they, they're very clear on what they need to be able to go and focus on to go and revise for the next catch-up or, or whatever so that they get themselves back to that standard. So people feel, hopefully, it's spread out over a, a more comfortable time frame. Uh, again, it also stops people falling into the trap of, putting off all the learning till the week before the exam and trying to cram it all because you're learning all together. So you start and finish hopefully together, not just an individual unit, but our plan is at the moment, certainly for the first pilot, we're aiming to do the uh, certificate insurance. So three units back to back all in one year, starting in September. So everyone starts at the same point, learns together, 
uh, and hopefully ends together with a great chance of success. And we know from looking at a couple of other um, professional bodies that have done similar exercises that it certainly should lead to greater chances of success for all those reasons we've explained, as well as just being hopefully a more enjoyable experience because nobody likes sitting on your own uh, studying on a textbook. Or well, maybe some people do. I certainly didn't when it was my turn. <laughs> Yeah, you're bringing back all sorts of memories for me there, Ian, as well. <laughs> and coming to digital badging then, so uh, that's again about uh, adding more value, not just not so much to the learning experience, but to what you've learned and what you do with it. So many people are now starting to use digital badging, particularly in um, educational platforms, to be able to demonstrate to other people what you've learned. So it's not anymore just about getting a paper certificate and putting it on your wall. Obviously, that's great for people who want to do that. But uh, where you're using platforms like LinkedIn and others to show proudly what you've achieved, uh, this is a great way of being able to do that. But it's more than just giving people an individual badge to say, I've been on this course or I've passed this qualification. Yes, we'll do that. But what we really want to do is show the breadth of competencies using that professional map uh, for people to understand the the breadth of what people have achieved, not just those individual achievements, but a pathway that says that they can make it transparent, particularly to their clients. What does this mean? It's not just um, here's a certificate on a wall, but you can click on the image that shows exactly what, how recently that was studied, what was in that course. So it hopefully improves that public trust and visibility of exactly what people are doing. And it brings it all together around the professional map, not just I've passed an exam, but I've achieved this level of learning, which shows how I'm performing against the competencies required for someone in this role at this level in my career. That's really, really interesting. Thanks for unpacking that so clearly, Ian. And you, you mentioned there the professional map. And of course, a lot of what we're talking about today does come back to the professional map. And Nicola, one of the other dimensions to that is around collaborating with partners um, so that we can offer CPD development programs and a new endorsement model as well. Can you talk us through how that's going to work, please? Sure, Chris. Well, I we uh, love finding people who are equally passionate about learning and the profession. Um, so we really enjoy working with our CPD accreditation clients. They've got great world-class programs. We work with them on them. The question is what more we can do to ensure that our members find relevant learning whenever they need it, whether it's directly through us or with third parties. So our new endorsement model is going to work at two levels. Firstly, we're going to be wanting to signpost a wider range of relevant content. So that could be from annual conferences to bite-sized webinars and mini briefings. Then at the more in-depth level, uh, we want to be highlighting and publicizing those world-class programs that we've quality assured and accredited. Uh, those are our CPD accreditation programs. We want to be illustrating how they support achieving um, or developing those outcomes from the professional map. And also so that helping people display what they have achieved through those programs as well. So using digital badging, uh, which Ian's already talked about, to evidence the um, the provider's commitment to high quality development, but also the, um, the attendees, our members, and their commitment by attending as well. And, and as well as the CPD endorsement and accreditation, you can also expect to see in the same vein, a deepening uh, collaborative approach of learning providers and related to higher education as well. Terrific. 
that's that's really interesting isn't it the way in which you know we're not seeking to do everything ourselves we're actually seeking to bring others along with us to give the best possible experience uh to our members and customers as well and thinking about experience ian um there is another pilot uh that's currently being run which has been called membership via professional experience and there have been concerns raised about this exercise and it would be really helpful, I think, if you could set out the thinking for us why this pilot is being conducted at this point in time and perhaps also when we might expect to hear the, the outcome of whether this is going to go ahead as well. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, a number of members raised some very fair concerns about this initiative, which we've listened to and understood. And we've um, some of them we expected and we're already figuring out. And some of them we've learned for or added to or expanded on risk mitigations to some of those areas that people have fairly pointed out. A lot of the concerns related to some unfortunate misunderstandings, as you said there, this is membership by professional experience. A number of people have misunderstood this was about qualifications. And just to be absolutely clear, we aren't giving away, as another language that people give, qualifications. This won't lead to qualifications at, at any point. This is about routes to senior levels of membership, which currently are excluded for those who haven't um, gone through that conventional route. So it will only be used to award senior membership status through those who have gone through a rigorous assessment of competence and professional experience over a considerable period. Uh, and it definitely won't be about simply tenure. So it's not about saying this person's been working for 15, 20 years, so therefore they automatically get anything. They have to go through what is frankly a, a very rigorous procedure that um, certainly most people we've shared it with so far have found surprisingly challenging and we expect people to fail that process just as as you can fail an exam it's definitely not a question of people thinking well i, I must be able to do this because i've do, been doing this job for years i'll just i'll just wing it um i'll go through some of the detail but um there's a lot that you need to be able to demonstrate and we will be assessing rigorously before we will open up the, those level of membership so in summary, in order to be eligible for either chartered or fellowship, candidates will need to be able to show evidence of seven or 10 years, respectfully, in, in the profession. In addition to that, they'll need to have two senior sponsors, and they're not just names on a list. They are people who will be interviewed to corroborate the evidence that's provided. They'll need to be assessed against a very detailed CV. Um, with a professional development report and an impact report where they provide examples that demonstrate advanced application of those competencies. So again, it's not simply providing a CV that says the things they've done. They've actually got to be able to apply that knowledge and demonstrate how that leads to the same outcomes in the professional map that you would normally be tested by in other formats. But it's just done in a, as part of a, a verbal assessment and referring to uh, materials they've submitted rather than um, in a, a qualification type learning evidence. And for fellowship, they also need to be able to provide examples of uh, where they've contributed to the profession above and beyond their role. So, for example, uh, participating in advisory bodies or volunteer networks. And for chartered, they need to be able to submit a technical assignment that will be assessed by a technical assessor. So, Nicola, is it the case that membership via professional experience is replacing qualifications in some way, or is it additional? 
I don't think it replaces it at all because what I like about qualifications is that they are efficient. They place all the little nuggets of expertise and experience in the right order for someone. So they're a highly time efficient way of progressing as a professional. Experience assessment is something else entirely. It's for a select group of people who've developed that through a much longer and detailed process. And I think one of the things that comes with very clearly from what you've been describing there, Ian, is that the rigorous nature of what is being worked on through the pilot. And we've not got to the end of that process at the moment. There's still work to conclude on it. And we'll be making an announcement, I guess, through the course of the end of 2023 as to how we'd be implementing this, if indeed we are going to implement it going forwards. And Given the complex nature of it, I should also say that we have developed a a very simple uh, summary infographic, if you want to call it, that setting out the the nature of the pilot as it exists today. Uh, We'll put that on our website and we'll put a link through from this uh, podcast to that. So those who are interested can take a look at that. And of course, we're here to answer any further questions that people might have. So I've just got one final question, uh, actually, and thinking, you know, we've talked about people who've been in their careers and moving through their careers for quite some period of time now. But at the other end of the spectrum, we've also got to think about how we bring fresh talent into the profession as well. And Ian, I I wondered if if you could also just say a few words about our thinking about apprenticeships and T-levels, because they, they feel so important to the work that the CII and the PFS do in terms of generating that next cohort of talent, the, the next advisors that uh, the professions really need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they are an absolutely core part of how we're going to grow the profession, how we're going to bring in that fresh talent, as you said. And the, let's start with the apprenticeship standards. They've been around now with the new funding model for a number of years. Uh, and the CII Aspire programs helped hundreds of apprentices to join the professions by supporting firms through that process. Uh, and we remain very much focused on helping both larger employers maximise the return on the levy that they've provided to support that programme, and also helping smaller firms access the right training provider apprenticeship to help them grow that business. Obviously, for smaller firms, they also, in many cases, benefit from a larger proportion of funding, which we we help them access. But there's it's, there's room for, I think, a further phase of development around apprenticeships now that that's um, been in bed for a number of years. And alongside that, we've got T-levels now coming online, and that's a technical route to a academic qualification within the uh, equivalent of an A-level, but within technical content. So uh, we're working with Pearson to train uh, their trainers so that colleges can begin to offer finance T-levels with insurance and personal finance content as a pathway within it. And that can lead then to apprenticeships. So if you think about people at the 16 to 18 year olds level starting to uh, learn about finance in a general sense, that then creates a an earlier funnel into apprenticeships, which then leads into a further funnel into um, professional qualifications. So it's just moving a little bit earlier, getting a little bit wider in that funnel, improving some of the uh, inclusion opportunities for the profession, because we're not restricted then to people who have got degrees, etc. It's really starting nice and early uh, with people who could um, look at uh, insurance or personal finance as a, as a future career. Alongside that, we're also launching a really uh, exciting new virtual attraction program later this year in 2023. 
starting in Q4, but committed over the next four years to provide a virtual experience of working in insurance and personal finance for 3,000 individuals. So we've never done this before, but we've got a really strong model. We're working with a technology partner to reach out via all the appropriate social networks, et cetera, to, to get people much earlier in that process to be inspired to work in insurance and personal finance and then give them really rich experience, whether that's via taster days, uh, experience calls or seminars to look at what it looks like to work in insurance and personal finance and then sign up to Future Me and other initiatives we already have on how to get on that pipeline. Oh, that sounds absolutely brilliant, Tim. Really, really interesting. And I think for me, having listened to this conversation, part of this conversation today, I mean, I I think this particular theme within the strategic plan really does have huge breadth and depth to it. All of the strategic plan has a lot of really engaging uh, material that are going to help members and customers when you look through the plan, you uh, unpack so much of it for us today. And thank you for doing that. I mean, there really is so much that's going to be going on that I hope is exciting uh, to all those who've listened to this podcast. And you can find more, of course, by looking at the strategic plan that's on our website. Thank you very much, uh, Nicola. And thank you, Ian, for joining me on the podcast today. It's lovely speaking to you both. A reminder that we're covering off each of the six themes from the CII strategic plan in separate podcasts. This is the fourth in that series. We'll have two more to come. You can hear the previous episodes on CII Radio and do join me for the next edition. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, goodbye.